Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. Congratulations. <laughs> For many of you, this is your first retreat. That's great. That's a real, uh, it's ironic because the practice isn't about, you know, attaining or, you know, getting things, but it's, it's a real accomplishment, it is, to spend five days, four days uh, in silence with your own mind. Very, very, very few people do this. And you know why now. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) So I want to talk a little bit about taking this home and keeping it alive in some way. These, uh, these teachings are really vast. There's, uh, it's a very rich and wide path. There are many, many aspects to it and many ways to plug in and stay connected and to practice formal meditation exercises formal meditation practice is really only one aspect of the path. And so what I, what I hope to convey this morning is um, just to kind of point you in a few different directions and indicate some of the um, possibilities for, for bringing the beauty and the potency of what's happened here into your life in a way that is real and a way that's sustainable. Because our lives aren't set up to do this. You know, look at how hard it was to, to carve out five days. And look at how much support and coordination went into making this thing happen. You know, Brian and I were emailing for months, preparing and setting things up and getting things ready. And then Gowrie came on a few weeks before, and then the cooks, all of the people who you know maintain this center, all of the work that each of you did to keep things running. So when you go home, a few things to watch out for. A few things just, if if this is your first retreat or one of your first retreats, um, you are probably more sensitive than you realize. So uh, go slowly. You know, 
You don't have to check your email today. It's Sunday. You know, take the day off. Seriously, the world's not going to stop. I mean, the world's, you know, everything's, it'll still be there on Monday morning. People can wait another eight hours to hear from you. Try to be intentional about how you spend your time, who you talk to, and what you talk about. Um, when most people ask you, how is your retreat, it's a social question. They're just saying hello. <laughs> you know, unless, unless they know something about this practice. How is your retreat? They, they think you were kind of at a spa or something. <laughs> you know? So it's fine to say, great, thanks. <laughs> and just let it be. And it can be painful when we want to share, when we really want to tell someone, oh my God, it was so hard and amazing. And, you know, there's this one moment where I saw this chipmunk and like he was looking at me and I was looking at the chipmunk and it was so deep and they're going like. <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, people won't understand. So just, just take care with what you share and the expectations that you have from others. Whatever amount of stillness or clarity or openness you've experienced here, it will change. Tomorrow by tomorrow morning, if you're able to sit, your mind will be more scattered, less focused, less peaceful, less loving in all likelihood. You haven't done anything wrong. One of the things that we learn here through the practice is not only that everything changes, but that it changes because of the conditions. Things, things come into being because the conditions are right. You're here this year on this retreat, this particular configuration of people that will never meet again. All these different conditions that came together that allowed each of us to be here. And it's like that every moment. So many different conditions creating each moment of experience. So there's a big furnace in this building heating all the rooms so that we don't need to wear our coats and hats and you know, gloves and stuff. When you go outside, it's colder. You don't get confused. Why is it so cold? It was warm in there. It's so cold out here. Because you understand there's heat in the building and it's winter outside in the Northeast, therefore it will be cold. 
You've been on retreat. Everyone's been silent. You've been meditating all day long from 6 in the morning until 9.30 at night. Your mind's going to be a little bit more settled. When the conditions change and you go home, how could it be otherwise that the, the state of your internal experience wouldn't change? That the mind wouldn't be more scattered, less focused, less calm, less concentrated. It doesn't mean the practice isn't working, you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean that what you've experienced and felt and seen here is any less meaningful or real. It just means the conditions have changed. Just like when you walk outside the building. The conditions change, the experience changes. Because this practice isn't about the content of our experience, because it's not about having and keeping some special experience, we can still practice. We can still be aware of the way things are. So notice the way it changes. Oh, now it's like this. Now the mind's scattered. Now the mind's planning. Now there's anxiety. Now all the energy's up here. Watch it change, and then learn how to work with it. It's, it's helpful to start to understand the nature of this path, which is that it's not about arriving at some future destination. It's about enjoying, learning to enjoy the unfolding of experience. It's about taking joy in the walking of the path rather than worrying about getting somewhere. We can, we can use uh, spiritual practice and contemplative practice to create some kind of a distant goal where one day we will be happier and enlightened and everyone will love us and no one will be mean to us. And and yeah, you know, well, people will still not love us, but, you know, we can, we can and do get happier. That's part of the path. We do. We suffer less. We learn why we suffer and that, that decreases. It does. Um, but when we place our well-being and our happiness and the goal in the future, we lose the present. <clears throat> and then we also set ourselves up to feed the patterns of self-judgment, of not good enough, of can't, will never, won't be able to. This practice, again, it's, it's, about, or it's about slowing down enough to see what's already here in a profound way. That movement into the future is a loss of presence. 
It's a loss of what's deepest and truest in us. And so, so much of learning to translate this practice into our lives is learning how to do that dance because so much of ordinary life is about the future. It's about getting somewhere, right? When, um, when I was in, in India, the, the first time I went there to practice, um, I was traveling afterwards, and I went for a hike uh, in South India, and I had a little map, and uh, was you know trying to go s- to this this lookout on top of uh, this mountain, and the map probably wasn't very accurate, and I I wasn't sure where I was going, and. Uh, I watched the mind for a couple of hours as I was hiking go back and forth between getting really anxious about where I was and if I was going in the right way and if I would get to this place that I wanted to get to and then realizing that it was a beautiful walk and the forest was lovely and it didn't matter. <laughs> I could just relax and enjoy the walk and just watching it go back and forth and back and forth. And so there's a certain dimension of this practice in our lives that's, that's about that, that's about um, understanding that there is, you know, we navigate towards real concrete ends in life. We have responsibilities and duties and schedules, but that in the process of getting there, there can be a sense of ease. There can be a sense of just being with each moment and allowing things to unfold. So the more we understand that practice isn't about getting somewhere, but just about playing in the process, the more fun the path becomes. And we start to realize, we start to understand and recognize that we learn by making mistakes, if we still even believe in that concept of making mistakes. I'm looking for a quote. Here it is. So we learn by failing. Failing isn't a failure. It's how we learn. This is from Malcolm X. He wrote, Children have a lesson that adults should learn, to not be ashamed of failing, but to get up and try again. Most adults are so afraid, so cautious, so safe, and therefore so shrinking and rigid and afraid that that is why so many humans fail. Most middle-aged adults have resigned themselves to failure. This is from uh, Winston Churchill said, success is the ability to go from one failure to the next with no loss of enthusiasm. (laughs) In some ways, that's this practice is just one failure after another. We try to be here and the mind 
goes off. And then we come back and then the mind, you know, we get lost. We get lost for a minute, an hour, a day, a week. You know. But the beauty is it doesn't matter how long you've been lost for. If you light a candle in a cave that's been dark for a thousand years, it only takes a moment for the cave to be illuminated. So one moment of mindfulness is enough. It's just enough. We have just enough presence. We have just enough will to wake up. Just one moment at a time. So what are some ways that we can bring this practice into our life? How can we really work with this and make it sustainable and alive and real? Because we can't be on retreat all the time, you know, unless your life conditions are very rare or you have a calling to that sort of life. You want to go spend time as a, mo a monk or a nun or just a long-term practitioner. That's, that's a wonderful thing to do. We need, we need people on the planet doing that. To, uh, to go deep and to, to maintain that um, capacity for renunciation and simplicity and presence as a kind of like a, almost like a vessel for humanity. So the first and the foremost thing about taking this practice into your life um, are the, uh, the rules of the game. So if you want to play the game of waking up and suffering less, there's certain, certain guidelines. Just like if you play soccer, you can't pick the ball up with your hands. You do, you know, and the other team gets the ball. Kick the ball out of bounds, other team gets the ball. That's, those are the rules of the game. So uh, the Buddha, who uh, understood a few things more than I do, laid down some guidelines and said, look, if you're interested in living a life that's meaningful, if you're interested in living a life where you're not causing harm for yourself and others and getting entangled and uh, just stressing out unnecessarily. Try not to kill. It's not going to be helpful. Don't kill other people. Don't kill animals. Don't kill insects. Just don't kill things. Don't take things that don't belong to you. It's not yours. Just let it be. Sexual energy, very powerful. But be careful with it. Make sure you're not taking advantage of others. Be gentle with that energy. Be responsible with it. Don't cause harm with your sexual energy. Speech, very powerful. What words can do. 
to be careful with your words. Pay attention to what you say. Try to be kind. Try to be honest. Try not to talk behind people's back. Pit one person against the other. It's not helpful. It won't help you. And then he said, it's hard enough to do this, so don't take intoxicants that confuse the mind further and get us into trouble and make us do these things. So these are the five precepts. And these are not commandments. They're not thou shalt or else. They're training guidelines. Thich Nhat Hanh's um, modern uh, rendering of the five mindfulness trainings, he calls them the five wonderful mindfulness trainings, each one begins aware of the suffering caused by killing, caused by taking that which does not belong to me, caused by, you know. So this is the understanding that these precepts are guidelines designed to help us understand how and why we suffer. And the core of them is a sense of care and concern for the well-being of ourself and others. To this, this, this root intention to not cause harm. Ahimsa in uh, Sanskrit and Pali. Harmlessness. <coughs> Nonviolence. To not cause harm. So, the first recommendation for taking this practice into your life is take on the precept. Not as, a, not as some, you know, guilt trip or some righteous thing or some uh, 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 you know, straitjacket, but as an investigation, as a learning, as a practice. What's it like to commit to not causing harm? So when that mosquito or that spider shows up in your shower, instead of squishing it, you go and you get a cup and a piece of paper and you, oh, this little guy wants to live too, you know, I'm about to take a shower, you're going to drown, buddy, if you stay in here, <laughs> come on, let's take you somewhere else, maybe you want to be in the basement, it's nice and dark and cool in there, <laughs> you go down there and I'll be in the bathroom, <laughs> you know, so this is a very simple example, but it, it transforms the heart to have to live with this sense of care for other beings. And then remember, it's okay to make a mistake. That's how we learn. So you say something harsh. No problem. Clean up the mess. Sorry, sorry. Can I just, I didn't mean that. Can we, can we do that over, you know? We just, we learn. That's how we learn. So the precepts are a wonderful way to bring mindfulness into life, this apamada, this carefulness, this heedfulness. And we need structures because everything in society goes in the other direction from awareness and presence and carefulness. The Buddha talked about this practice as going against the stream. It's like swimming upstream, going against the current. The currents of society will pull us away from the Dhamma. It will pull us towards accumulation, towards the future, towards becoming someone and something, and 
placing our well-being in the future, towards getting more and having more, and identifying our sense of self-worth or meaning or happiness with that, rather than recognizing that happiness and content, happiness and peace and well-being comes from contentment, from letting go, from generosity, from integrity, not from getting ahead or having the biggest house or the nicest car or the largest bank account. So it's a going against the stream. So the precepts are one structure to help us go against that stream. Have a daily practice. This is very hard. It's very hard to do. There's, for most of us, there's so many demands on our time and energy. And even when there aren't, just the just the momentum of the mind is so strong. You wake up, oh, I'm going to have a cup of tea, and oh, I'll, look at the, I'll, I'll read the paper a little bit, I'll look at the news, oh, it's already 10 o'clock, I'll sit this evening, you know? And then this evening, there's an email to check or a phone call to check, and then it's time for bed, oh, I'm tired, I'll sit tomorrow. And 10 years go by, like that. You have to make a firm commitment to sit every day, Somebody asked me in one of the groups, they said, what's the minimum? <laughs> what's the minimum? Just you know, Do you know what the minimum is? Anyone want to guess? If you were in that group, don't give it away. Whatever feels right. One moment. One breath. One breath. That's the minimum. You can always be mindful for one breath. Got a crazy day, wake up in the morning, sit on the edge of your bed, one breath. Breathe in, breathe out. Keep going. End of the day, lie down. Sit up on your pillow in your bed. Really good practice to get into. You know, if you don't have a little cushion or altar or something at home to sit, every night you get into bed, just sit up on your pillow. Cross your legs, close your eyes, one breath. Usually, once we get there, we end up sitting for longer. Not always. So that's the minimum. If you can sit for five minutes, five minutes is better than no minutes. If you can sit for ten minutes, you don't have to sit. You might walk. You might stand. Okay? I've written a lot about having a daily practice on my website. I have a, a, a small, short e-book um, that uh, um, uh, I can... Uh, I'll, I'll make sure you guys get an email with it with a link to it on establishing a daily practice, some of the things that help to do that. This is very important. Having a connection with a sangha, with a group, and go once a week, sit with other people, listen to the teachings, very helpful to have that sense, because it's hard to do alone, but if we go and, and have a group, meet with other people, at least once a week we get that infusion of some inspiration, some clarification, some remembrance of the teachings. Okay. Many of you have, have seen this, um, this postcard flyer I put out for Next Step Dharma, which is an online program that I created because people come off of retreat and maybe they don't have a Sangha at home. Or maybe that's not enough. And so this is a, it's a six-week program online 
to help to transition from the retreat and keep the practice and the insights and the understanding of the Dharma alive in your daily life. And every, uh, um, this other teacher and colleague, friend of mine, Jaya, who's in England, and I run the course, and we correspond with people on Facebook and in the forums on the course, and every week and a half we have a live call. We do a Q&A session. How's it going? What's going on? And there's this beautiful little online sangha that has formed. And some people, after the six weeks, they decide to continue with the online calls. And every ten days we check in about the practice and about, about how it's going in daily life. So this is, this is a resource, this is available for you. And then there are many other ways to uh, stay in touch. Uh, Dharma Seed, Audio Dharma, listening to uh, talks, reading. I posted some suggested books, particularly if you're newer to the path and the practice, getting a sense of the overview and some of the core teachings. The study is an important part of practice. It's not talked about a lot in the insight tradition because there's such an emphasis on the practice and the direct experience, which is wonderful, but it's helpful. It's helpful to study, to learn about the teachings. You know, learn about the lists and, and where they come from and, and why they're important and even memorize some of them. So you start to understand, start to... Uh, so a lot of the development of Dharma is learning to see in a particular way, shifting our perspective from the uh, uh, inherited views from society, from growing up, and, uh, and starting to, to learn how to look at things from a different angle, to look at things, instead of looking at things from the perspective of what can I get and what do I want, to the perspective of what leads to stress and suffering and what leads to well-being and peace, what will be for my long-term long welfare, what will be for the welfare of others. It's a very different framework. So this brings me to the next area. So I've talked about the precepts. I've talked about having a daily practice. I've talked about sangha and study. <coughs> I'm going to talk about two more things briefly, and then we'll take a short break to stretch the legs. the beginning of the retreat, I mentioned that the word that's translated as meditation most commonly in the texts is bhavana, which means cultivation. So one way of understanding this path is as the cultivation of wholesome mind states. And wholesome means it, it brings well-being rather than stress and suffering. So the cultivation of mind states and energies and intentions that are for our own welfare, Things like patience, kindness, generosity, integrity, balance, joy, compassion, wisdom, interest, all of these qualities. So one of the gifts of being human is that we have the opportunity to shape the mind, 
that our minds are malleable. They can learn. So if you spend time with people who are focused on how they look and how much money they have and um, you know who's in the limelight, your mind will begin to think that way and you will begin to espouse those values because we're impressionable. And if we spend time with people who are patient and loving and generous, not that those, not the people who value money or self-image can't also be patient. I don't want to demonize anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the qualities of, uh, of the, the people we, we share time with have an effect on us. So who we spend time with is important, and how and how we live. So what qualities are we bringing to our day-to-day life? And this is, this, is, this is the other side of having a formal daily practice. So meditating for anywhere from one breath to one hour or longer every day waters certain seeds in the mind, seeds of mindfulness, patience, kindness, understanding. And then it makes it more likely that during the day we will remember to be aware, to be kind, to be patient with ourselves and with others. So going back to this sense of of our ordinary life being about accomplishing and getting things done, the shift in Dharma practice is not just about, okay, can I be with the process? instead of just focusing on the end result, but how am I doing this? How am I accomplishing this task? Am I doing it with tension and stress and straining and striving and pushing and impatience and frustration and tension? If so, that's what I'm reinforcing. Those are the habits in my mind that will grow stronger. Am I doing it with patience, with diligence and care, with some ease, with some joy. Why do we do anything? As long as we're doing it, we might as well do it willingly. Give from the heart. Enjoy it. Taking out the trash. You know, great, I'm helping out. Someone else doesn't need to take out the trash. Cleaning the floor, you know, really, really be there. Do it. Taking care of my space, caring for myself and my family. Sitting in traffic for an hour, needing to get to work. Why are you going to work? People you love, that you want to support. Be connected to that. You're sitting in traffic for a reason. So we can do things, we can use the activities of our daily life to strengthen really beautiful qualities of heart and mind when we're aware, when we're oriented in that way. And so the more more we bring these qualities into our daily activities, then when we sit, the mind is more bright, clear, uplifted. When we sit, we cultivate some mindfulness, some awareness. We're more likely to remember 
those qualities in our day-to-day, and then they feed each other like that. Make sense? Great. Okay. So the last, uh, the last thing I want to talk about, and I've, I've mentioned it a few, a few times in different ways, but I, I really want to highlight it and uh, maybe end on this note. You know, I think of all the things that I've mentioned, I think this last one is the most important. And that's having good friends who are on this path. This is from the Buddha. With regard to external factors, I don't see any other single factor like friendship with admirable people as doing so much for one on this path who has not yet attained the goal, but remains intent on the unsurpassed freedom from suffering. One who is friends with admirable people abandons what is unskillful and develops the Noble Eightfold Path. The Buddha likened, uh, he said, just as the dawn is the precursor to the rising of the sun, so friendship with wise companions is the precursor to cultivating the path. One who has a good friend cultivates the path. So if you don't have Sangha at home, if you don't have someone, just one person, (coughs) got two, great. Get someone's number before you leave. Get their email address. You know, you can take Next Step Dharma, and I highly encourage, I encourage you to do that also. But this, you've spent time now with, with each other here. And we've formed a little community together. And so there's a quality of, of a connection through the shared experience that's valuable. So this this is all really possible. This is all within our reach, every one of us. The Buddha also is quoted as having said, cultivate what's skillful, what's wholesome. It's possible to develop what's wholesome in the heart. If it weren't possible to develop what's wholesome, I wouldn't say develop what's wholesome. Because it's possible, I say to you, develop that which is wholesome. So I offer these for thoughts for your reflection. So let's take five minutes or so to just stretch the legs and Use the restroom if you need to, and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.